2: $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com.
3: This is the Cork Today replay
4: on C103. As we welcome you along to Friday's edition of the uh, program, I mean it is a bitterly cold morning out there, and the advice is that we need to wrap up warm right across this weekend. Freezing temperatures uh, are forecasted, but there will be bits of uh, spells of winter sunshine, and they certainly will be welcomed. But motorists and pedestrians are all being urged to take care on the roads across this weekend, as roads and pavements could prove to be uh, treacherous. I mean, they're talking about temperatures uh, for tomorrow, for example, going as low as minus four, even minus five degrees Celsius. Met Aaron are saying it will be very cold over the next 72 hours but there will be some bright periods. Tomorrow cold with sunny spells and then Sunday is expected to be another bitterly cold day. So please wrap up uh, warm and can I start the show this morning by complimenting the Irish Examiner newspaper for their front page photograph of little Adam uh, King from Killa who we mentioned yesterday, Adam's iconic virtual hug was illuminated on different uh, landmarks in a number of locations indeed across the country uh, yesterday evening and of course it was to celebrate yesterday was National Hugging Day. And of course, as part of National Hugging Day, uh, late Late show, toy show star uh, Adam uh, sent an extra special virtual hug to everyone in Ireland yesterday who couldn't mark the occasion. We obviously can't physically hug anyone because of COVID. So there was a number of landmarks across the country that lit up with Adam's iconic virtual hug, including the Samuel uh, Beckett Bridge in Dublin and here at home, the City Hall and the County Hall was also lit up in a, with a pink virtual hug from Adam. And there's just a gorgeous photograph of little Adam right outside City Hall yesterday with City Hall lit up in the background. It really was one of those, one of those things you sort of look at first thing this morning when you're looking at the papers and it puts a smile uh, on your face. It it really is gorgeous. Now, John Paul, taking your calls this morning at 1850 333 uh, 103. You can also text or WhatsApp 0862 103 103. I take it Nobody will be surprised to hear that ahead of a cabinet committee meeting on COVID-19, it has emerged. Ministers are considering an extension to this level five, which is the highest level of coronavirus restrictions. And they're looking at leaving them in place until just before uh, St. Patrick's Day. Dr. Tony Houlihan warning last night that the UK strain, which is easier to catch, is now at 60% of all cases in this country and it is growing. Worryingly, the spread of COVID 19 has also surged in our nursing homes and other long term care centres and that's over the past three weeks. Uh, They're now at levels not seen since the first wave back in March and April. We are going to be talking about nursing homes this morning on the programme and in particular how is the rollout of the vaccines going. It is now more important than ever to make sure that everyone in our nursing homes that all of them are protected, both the staff and the residents, particularly when you're seeing that worrying news that there's a surge of cases in uh, nursing homes. A move by by the government to lock us into level 5 until at least mid... March, that will mean that the non-essential retail, they're already closed, they will remain closed. Household visits, which we're not able to have at the moment, they will continue to be banned until at least the second week in March. And it also means that hairdressers, barbers and beauticians will all remain closed. And I think there hasn't been a day this week where we haven't had a call or a text in from somebody wondering, would the hairdressers and the barbers be open on the 1st of May? So obviously, or the 1st of February. So obviously some people are already needing to get their But it looked like it's certainly not going to be until around uh, St. Patrick's Day. Now, ministers will also examine the reopening of schools and construction. But all other aspects of the economy and society are expected to remain under level five. One government source is even suggesting that schools may not even fully reopen before that uh, date. And of course, we already know that Northern Ireland have announced plans they're, they have a national lockdown. They're extending their national lockdown now until the 5th of March. Now, the Cabinet Committee on COVID-19, they're going to meet next Monday and then there's a full Cabinet meeting on Tuesday. So the committee, they put forward the recommendations Then obviously it will be the full Cabinet meeting on Tuesday will make the decision. So it will be Tuesday before we know for sure what is happening. There is concern, seemingly in government, about giving the public... Any indication of when restrictions will finally be eased, as it seems, and I didn't realise this, but it seems people tend to change their behaviour in the weeks coming up to the end of a lockdown. It's believed, for example, that the public stopped a tearing. No, some, not all. Some of the public stopped tearing to public health restrictions around mid-November. And that was ahead of the regulations being eased at the start of December. There's also a reluctance to take any more risks with restrictions after, of course, the massive outbreak that we had uh, with the easing of restrictions uh, over the Christmas. and the Thornish study of radker he's saying that the government was nowhere near or the country was nowhere near ready to start easing restrictions because he says the virus is still rampant in the community. Things are starting to fall slightly in terms of cases and hospitalisation but not at the pace that they would like in order to see us move out of a level 5. Now the R number which we all keep a close eye on because that indicates how fast the virus is spreading. Yesterday that R number was at 0.5 to 0.8 so that certainly is good news but we desperately need to keep it under 1. Hospitals they're continuing to struggle. There's just under 2,000 COVID-19 patients in hospital, but it's the numbers in intensive care at over 200. Uh, that is uh, really worrying. And of course, all of the hospitals now at this stage are all relying on their surge uh, beds. But Dr Tony Hoolan yesterday, uh, and I listened to this uh, very carefully, he was asked about education. And about the reopening of schools. And he made the point that education and the health service continue to be the priorities. But he said, Neffet have already given advice to a government. Now, when he was pushed on, well, you know, what would you like to see? When do you think that the schools would reopen? He said, we want to see us being able to restore that, i.e. the reopening of schools as soon as possible. But he said we have more progress to make. So do I take it from that that Tony Houlihan is saying to the government, it is too early to reopen the schools? And of course, the big focus this week on the reopening of schools has been around the opening of schools just for the special needs Pupils now seemingly that's back on track uh, this morning, but still no target for a return date. For return date, talks resumed yesterday between the Department of Education, their officials, all of the unions representing the teachers and the special needs assistants. And this now is the third attempt to try to agree uh, timing and conditions for a partial reopening of uh, schools, uh, but the difficulties that have been encountered this week over the return of. There's about 23,000 pupils with special needs. That now, because of the difficulties that were encountered with the unions this week the Department of Education and lots of other people are now saying that that is casting huge doubts over a general reopening. There was hopes that all of the schools will be back on February the 1st. I think we can write that off. I really can't see the schools, a full opening of schools on the 1st of February. The government will decide next week, but the sources say the main focus now is going to be on this return of the special needs pupils and also leaving cert uh, pupils. Although Public Health advises that schools are safe environments, it's the daily COVID figures are not persuading many staff to return. And that obviously was because of the daily rise and the rise in the community that really scuppered the chances of special needs uh, pupils going back to school yesterday. One union, for example, said they would need the figures to be back where they were in November, early December levels to instil any kind of confidence in staff returning to the, the school. And if you look at where the figures were back, say, in December. On the 1st of December, the five-day average was a 261 cases per day. Where were we yesterday? 2,430. So we're nearly 10 times where we were on the 1st of December. And if the unions are saying we want the figures back there before we consider going back into the classroom, I think we have a long, long wait for the reopening of schools. And I spotted a survey that parents were asked how they feel about schools reopening because obviously we need the, we need the teachers to go back in and the SNAs to go back in, but we also need buy-in from parents because there are many parents would be nervous about sending their children into school with so much COVID-19 activity in the uh, community. And a survey out yesterday actually found that most parents believe schools shouldn't open on the 1st of February. Only a quarter of adults think that the pu- that this is for the all schools, not just special needs schools, this is for the for mainstream schools as well. Only a quarter of adults think that pupils should return to the classroom on the first of February. Although among parents of leaving such students and primary school, it was slightly higher. Eighty-seven percent of parents of leaving such students though said there needs to be a decision before the end of January on whether the exams will be cancelled and if they're going to be cancelled. What are they going to be replaced with? What will the calculated grades actually look look like? And there's strong support also, 75%, for allowing students to have a choice. And I think among students themselves, they would prefer to have a, a choice, give them the choice that they either sit the exam in June are they can opt for receiving calculated uh, grades but the majority of parents uh, not pushing for schools to reopen on the 1st of February. Some of your calls and comments in about the possible reopening of the country are staying in lockdown. Newla says if they don't reopen the schools on the 1st of February which is looking very likely that they won't reopen then they surely need to close down all construction and manufacturing plants. Those workers need to come home and stay at home. There's a danger that these workers will bring the virus back into their homes. I myself am terrified that the virus will be brought home into my house. So if they're serious about this lockdown then they need to shut down all forms of construction and all manufacturing. On the schools remaining closed, a listener says, Patricia, is there a bit of bullying going on by the teachers? They, we, they need to be told no. we are no longer Ireland of the 60s and um, uh, 70s, they are no lo- longer above criticism, says a texter. Hi, Patricia. If they're going to open up business before St. Patrick's Day, will that not cause similar problems to what we had at Christmas? People will all start to gather together and we also have Easter early this year. Will we end up opening up? People will head out to celebrate for St. Patrick's Day and then for Easter and will we be back where we started, where what's happened here in January will start to happen in April instead. On um, the hairdressers and barbers remaining closed, The listener says, I think the hairdressers should be open for haircuts only. Customers could wash their hair at home before heading into the appointment. That way, the time in the salon would be much shorter and I'm sure a lot of people would be happy just to get into the hairdresser, just to get into the barber for the haircut. You do the washing and the drying and the poofing and whatever else you want to do. You would do all of that at uh, home. Hi, Patricia. Everybody in Ireland, we need to show the world that we can beat this together. We've done it before. We suppress the virus in this country. We can do it together. We can all come together but be apart. We can give each other a virtual hug. We can prove to everyone that we can do it this time round. And uh, Johnny says, Patricia, the Minister for Health said on Wednesday that the over seventies and those with underlying health conditions will be given the Oxford-AstraZeneca vaccine, which we know has an efficacy of sixty-two percent. Surely this group should be given the Pfizer-BioNTech vaccine or the Moderna vaccine which has efficacy of over 90%. As one of those groups I'm extremely worried. I'm just wondering if you could look into this. We actually have a GP going to join us on the programme on Monday to talk about the rollout of the vaccine into the community because we know that the government signed off on a deal with GPs and uh, pharmacies and they are the ones that are going to be rolling out the vaccine and Johnny is right, it does look like it is going to be the Oxford AstraZeneca that's going to be rolled out to the general population. Now I don't know whether Johnny uh, with an underlying health condition you would then have a choice if you had a serious underlying health condition would your doctor be able to put you forward would your doctor think you would be better off at getting the Pfizer BioNTech vaccine but I know and we've done interviews we've we did a piece during the week with the professor from uh, UCC on this and while yes you're right The Oxford one is deemed less effective than, say, the BioNTech one. If you think back to the start of this pandemic, when we were all praying and hoping that a vaccine would come and nobody expected a vaccine to come so quickly in the early days, if we had a vaccine that was 50% effective, we would have celebrated that. No one expected the Moderna or the Pfizer one to come out at between 90 and 95%. That was a surprise even to scientists themselves. So there's nothing wrong with the Oxford AstraZeneca one coming in at 62% and I also read something online that there's further studies going on. It may even come out at 70% or higher there is a a possibility and a lot of the vaccines that we've been getting over the years have nothing like 90-95% efficacy If for for a vaccine to work properly, 50% is all that is needed. But what I would suggest Johnny is perhaps that when your turn comes for you to go to your GP that maybe you have a chat with your GP and your gp will certainly be the one to best advise but we do have a gp joining us on the programme on Monday because I'm certainly aware of a lot of our listeners who are contacting us saying when am I going to get my vaccine do I ring my GP, when do I make my appointment and the last thing we want is for people to be flooding the GP surgeries with calls because at this stage I don't know of any GP practice that's actually taking bookings so we'll have advice around the rollout of vaccines into the community on Monday and we'll make a note of Johnny's question and if anybody else has a question about the vaccine for our GP. Feel free to get it into us over the weekend. John Paul taking your calls at 1850 333103 You can text or WhatsApp 0862 103103
3: Court today on C103 with
5: Sean Cusack. Insurances Sale. now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. Want great advice? You know who to talk to. CMIG.ie.
4: As the COVID nineteen vaccine program continues, the CEO of Nursing Homes Ireland has urged the HSE to direct all available resources towards the vaccine rollout in our nursing homes. And Tyke Daly joins me this morning. Good morning to you, Tyke.
6: Good morning, Patricia.
4: Now what percentage of nursing homes have been vaccinated to date?
6: Yeah, look things have improved uh, significantly thankfully in the last in the last number of days uh, and the figures we have now up to the 20th of January is that over 200 and, I think about 212 nursing homes uh, have been vaccinated with almost 50,000 uh, 48,000 um, either residents or, or staff so the, the fact that things have accelerated is, I suppose, acknowledgement of the, the huge threat that COVID still presents. So we definitely are on the upper trajectory and we're, in, we're committed that by this Sunday, all of the nursing homes will have, uh, residents and staff, will have received their first dose of the vaccine. So that's positive.
4: Is it worrying, though, to hear that the spread of COVID-19, there has been a surge in uh, nursing homes? Do you know how many uh, nursing homes have now got covid
6: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Worrying and very, very concerning and, look, obviously very disappointing as well. I mean, the numbers in the community obviously have had a huge impact across the entire health service, uh, both acute hospitals and nursing homes. Indeed, the acute hospitals are probably uh, in the news more now than than nursing homes. But that said, uh, at this point in time, we understand there's about 160 nursing homes across the country would have an outbreak. Uh, which is, uh, you know, over 20 percent of all nursing homes. So that is a huge, huge concern. And in tandem with that, then you have obviously large numbers of staff who either have contracted COVID themselves or indeed are a close contact or unable to work. So significant pressure on the sector, um, unfortunately, as we get to the end of January. But the vaccination program, the escalation of the vaccination program is, I suppose, the good news, if you like.
4: And if there is a COVID outbreak at a nursing home, does that affect the vaccination, vaccination rollout for that nursing home? Uh,
6: thankfully, not for the nursing home, but un- regrettably, it, it does for the individual. So if you have a nursing home, we'll say with 50 residents, and if there are five, six or seven who are COVID positive, then the individuals themselves cannot receive the vaccine, unfortunately. Uh, but for the remainder of the residents and staff, they can still proceed. So that's why I suppose the escalation this week was so important because there was some, um, I suppose, commentary that that wouldn't happen. But it is important that the, the vaccine rollout continues and, and on, that, on that basis um, while it, it, it is for the individuals rather than the facility.
4: And I know there was some criticism when they started rolling out the vaccine initially. It seemed to be Monday to Friday, nine to five. Have mm. they started doing the vaccines at the weekend now as well?
6: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, over Christmas and in the early late part of December, uh, the plan was that it would commence over three weeks uh, towards the end of January. But given the high levels of community transmission, uh, there was a decision made to to escalate matters. So from last uh, Saturday, the 16th, uh, right up until uh, next Sunday, the 24th, uh, I suppose there was a significant push to ensure that all of the uh, long-term care facilities would be completed in that time frame. So last Saturday and Sunday, a significant number of nursing homes and this Saturday and Sunday there'll be a significant number of nursing home residents and staff uh, vaccinated as well so that's that's the positive absolutely.
4: Okay a couple of our listeners are asking did Tyke have any luck with your suggestion to have a body vaccinated uh, like a close family member who has a resident in a nursing home?
6: Yeah regrettably no this is the short answer to that Um Look, it's still on the agenda, and I suppose we were maybe somewhat encouraged yesterday by the, the minister, I think, and say, stating that the, the vaccination plan is a, a living, breathing document. Uh, I mean, clearly the challenge now is the supply of the vaccine. And when I spoke to you previously, we were making the point that supply should be the only uh, barrier to rolling it out quickly. But they, at this point in time, there's no commitment there to, to vaccinate uh, the body system, as you say, unfortunately.
4: All right, Laura, whose mother is a patient in a nursing home, she said her mother was crying on the phone last night, saying, "Why isn't she coming uh, to see her?" They have been vaccinated last week at the nursing home. What does vaccination mean from a visitor's point of view? When will visitors be allowed back in?
6: Yeah, I mean that's a hugely difficult question. As I said before on your programme and others, I'm not a public health expert, but what I can say is that from speaking with people in public health, just yesterday afternoon we had a lengthy call with uh, the HSE. I think it's fair to say that this will be with us for some time in terms of restrictions, um, because there are, I suppose, uh, you know, unknowns, if you like, in terms of what immunity the vaccine uh, will provide to older people. And the other question that hasn't been answered uh, satisfactorily, I think, is the issue of of transmissibility. So we'd be hoping, I suppose, by the end of February, that all of the residents and staff will have had their second vaccine at that stage. uh, And then You know, I suppose post that really will be an opportunity then to reassess uh, and see how we can resume visits to nursing homes in a a, a safe way. And a part of that then will be, I suppose, the issue that we've raised previously is that uh, many visitors should be vaccinated themselves as a priority as well. So, uh, I mean, regrettably, uh, I think, you know, we need to be very careful um, as we move through the vaccination programme. You know, the vaccine is, is obviously fantastic. But, you know, it's not the silver bullet is what I'm hearing from experts in public health.
4: Yeah. And it still means wearing of masks and it still means social distancing. And it still doesn't mean that you can get in to see your mother and, and give her a hug, unfortunately. I've noticed in the papers, um, Ty, there's gorgeous photographs of uh, people being vaccinated. I mean, the one in, in today's papers is a lady by the name of Nurisha Mills. She's 102 and she got her vaccine in the nursing home in Glasnevin in, in Dublin. And all of the photographs always look so joyful. Is there a great sense of celebration and joy when the vaccination arrives in a nursing home?
6: Absolutely. I I, I said to someone the other day that the the only side effect from the vaccine that we know of is euphoria. And I think that's That's the, the the feedback we've been getting from from people right across the country, and as you said it's fantastic to see the pictures. We have some videos on our own website uh, some of, of the people who were interviewed the other day on on other programs as well, and as you said, the lady yesterday Norita, said that was a hundred hundred and second birthday yesterday, I understand so yeah. Uh, yeah. A, a, good, a good birthday present, but yeah, absolutely uh, across residents and staff uh, the joy and and the I suppose the sense of relief. In in some respects, that the vaccination program has commenced is is uh, is a joy to behold. To, to be honest, um, so that's why the the acceleration of the program is so welcome. And we need now to start. I mean, from from Thursday of this week, now the 28th, those who got their vaccine on the 7th, that was the first um, uh, nursing home, uh, will be looking at the 28th day, or the 21 day rather, uh, next um, the next dose of the vaccine. So yeah, the joy the joy is is, is palpable at this stage of right across the sector.
4: Okay, and you touched on staff shortages, uh, Tyke, because of staff members even get either getting COVID or being deemed a close contact. Is is that a problem for a lot of nursing homes?
6: Yeah, it is. It is a huge problem, to be honest. Right across, I heard figures there, even again this morning in the acute hospital system, I think 6,500 people who are unfortunately unable to walk because of COVID. The most recent figures that we have is something of the order of 1,200 people who are out across the nursing home sector, public, private and voluntary. So that's having a huge impact across the sector. I mean, you know, we've spoken before uh, about what the staff have have, uh, endured um, and residents, obviously, but the staff have been heroic throughout and we would be concerned about, I suppose, uh, how they can, you know, continue. But clearly, what we're seeing now at the moment is many staff, you know, not taking their leave, working extra shifts, working extra hours, because I suppose they see the vaccine now as the, the I suppose the, the, the beginning of the end, if you like. Uh, so the staff who are remaining are putting in a, a huge, uh, a huge effort. But the fact that so many are out is, is is a significant challenge. And I know in some nursing homes recently, where uh, both in Cork and indeed in Clare where the defence forces are are, um, are um, helping with uh, catering and laundry. So, again, you know, in some cases, if you have large numbers of staff out, it has a huge, huge impact, obviously, on, on uh, continuity of, of care.
4: OK, all right, we leave it there. Uh, Tiglison, thank you for that. And uh, as always, thanks for talking to us.
6: Thank you indeed. Good morning to you.
4: Good. Good morning to you. That is uh, Ty Daly who is the CEO of Nursing Homes uh, Ireland. Just on the subject of being a close contact with uh, Ty saying some of the staff would be out because they would be close contacts. Uh, a listener by WhatsApp says, Patricia could you solve an argument between my friend and I please? Can you exercise in public if you are living with a confirmed COVID positive person and you were deemed a close uh, contact? Okay, I've just checked, double checked on the HSC website for what you need to do. If you are a close contact, you're told you need to uh, restrict your uh, movements. And by restricting your movements, the HSC say you avoid all social situations and contact with people as much as you can. You stay at home for as much as possible, but you can still go outside to exercise, but you must do that by yourself as long as you're able to keep two metres away from other people when you're, when you're outside. So you need to pick your spot, you need to decide where you're going to do your exercise and make sure that's not going to be in a crowded area or where you're going to find yourself in a situation where you can't keep two metres away from everybody else. But that's under restricting your movements. You can go out for exercise but by restricting your movements it means you stay at home, you don't go to work, you don't go to college, you don't use public transport, you don't have any visitors to your house, you don't visit any other house. Uh, you, where possible, don't go shopping or to a pharmacy unless it's absolutely necessary. They say for close contacts, get it delivered. Have your groceries delivered or get a friend uh, to drop them off. Don't call and collect children. Don't look after children. Don't uh, attend any gatherings such as weddings and funerals. And you definitely, if you're a close contact, you don't meet face to face with any older per- uh, older person. But you are allowed to exercise as long as you keep two metres away from other people. 1850 333 103. John Paul taking your calls. You can text your WhatsApp 0862 103 103.
3: Today on C103.
5: With John Cusack Insurance's Kinsale. Now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie
3: Our
4: senior news reporter Fiona Corcoran spoke with Cork City Councillor Fiona Ryan about her recent double mastectomy, which she decided to have after it was confirmed. She has a gene mutation that increases her risk of breast cancer by 80%. She's also due to have her ovaries removed in a couple of years for the same reason at just 31 years of age it was a brave decision but she says it's a brave decision to make regardless of what women decide to do our Fiona spoke to Councillor Ryan
7: you're back in action after your surgery you had a double mastectomy back in October just tell me a little bit about why you had the double mastectomy Um,
2: Well, um, a a couple of years back, um, it was discovered in my family that um, some members had what was called a BRCA1 gene mutation. And that basically means that um, for particularly women in my family, but not exclusively, um, we have an increased risk of breast cancer and, and ovarian cancer. Um, up to 80 to 90% risk of developing it. Um, and generally speaking, women will develop it younger uh, than average. So um, once I, I knew that it was um, in my family, it for me, um, I was very sure that I knew what I wanted to do. I didn't want to have to manage the worry of breast cancer for the rest of my life. I, I wanted to eliminate that risk as much as possible. So I decided to go with the preventative uh, bilateral mastectomy.
7: When you heard that you had the gene, um, you know, what did you think? Was it a shock or were you expecting it? I think the thing with this gene is anyone who finds out they have it, it's
2: never really a shock mm-hmm. because you will have seen it in your family. Um, it's not it's something that's passed down it's hereditary you will have seen um, uh, breast cancer in your family and you will have seen it probably occur in family members younger whether it's your 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 mother grandmother you know great-grandmother it's not it's not it's rarely a surprise it's but it's something that you you know if your parent has it you have a 50 50 chance of having it you can either inherit it or not so there's always a fingers crossed that, you know, you didn't inherit it. But I mean, I was well prepared to, you know, have that, you know, positive result of the, the gene mutation.
7: But it's such a brave decision to make to have both of your breasts removed at the age of 31.
2: I think it's um, it's brave no matter what decision you go through. Mm. Um, I mean, I was very comfortable for the decision I made but i mean it's also brave to 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 go with the screening option which is is available and it's very very good screening program in the CUH in Cork um in the Orchid clinic um i mean i in ways i find it braver to go that route i, I the the anxiety for me was too much you know but but many women decide that they they, they, they go through the screening and and catch some things early if mm. if something is indeed there to be caught um, and so I think what's important when it comes to these things is 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 arming women um, to make those choices and decisions, whether it's the, they decide to screen or whether they decide to have the mastectomy. And you have had a uh, reconstruction as well. I chose to go with reconstruction on the day uh, of the mastectomy. So there's a range of options that um, women in my position are are offered. You can have immediate reconstruction, which is what I chose. Personally, I I, I didn't want to wake up without breasts, but uh, for others, it might be uh, less risky to to kind of let there be time between the mastectomy and the reconstruction to heal up. And a lot of women choose that route. Um, And, there are women who choose to not have reconstruction at all you know the 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 options that are there for women are are profoundly different even to what was there 10 years ago
7: you've also decided to have your ovaries removed is that right
2: um so yeah that's that's another issue with when it comes to this particular gene mutation um and it, you know the the breast cancer side of things is very well publicized uh, um you know it would be come into the public consciousness I think when Angelina Jolie uh, got her preventative that's where most women when you say oh, I have brca one gene they look at you funny until you say you know the thing that Angelina Jolie had and then they go oh I see um, but uh, yeah I mean the, the other side of it is I have a, a risk of up to 60% uh, of developing ovarian cancer which is actually much m- more um, the, the prognosis is much worse for that 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 form of cancer so yeah in the next uh, couple of years i'm going to also need what's called an ophomectomy probably i always pronounce that wrong <laughs> um, um and that will be preventative also
7: because i suppose ovarian cancer is much more difficult to detect than breast cancer it's extremely difficult to detect because more,
2: more often than not it's symptomless and um, by the time you do have symptoms, those symptoms are usually cramping, pelvic pain, um, <laughs> symptoms that many women have every month. Um, and by the time the symptoms are there, it's I mean, Ireland, I think, has a five year prognosis of about 36 percent, um, which is very low. I think it's, it's its lower in Ireland, actually, than it is in um, mainland Europe. I, I don't know why, but it just is um so obviously that increases the timeline for a lot of things that women my age would have in terms of family planning in terms of um you know uh, you'd have to go on to uh, hormone therapy mm-hmm. in the immediate aftermath you go immediately into menopause after it so there's um you know it's it's also a very tough surgery less 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 physically demanding than the mastectomy but in terms of the 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 the, the, the the, the side symptoms, it's it's in ways more demanding um, in terms of long-term management.
7: So was that decision a much more difficult decision to make, given the fact that you are only 31, you don't have any children yet, um, you know, going through the menopause in your mid-30s is going to be big for you mentally and physically?
2: Um. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely in ways that if you if with the two surgeries even mm. though one is probably a keyhole surgery versus the mastectomy i would say that that one is definitely one that i would fear more but i mean again i i think that whether it's the uncertainty of 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 potentially developing ovarian cancer versus not i would still go with the surgical mm. route personally but yeah i mean it, it for me mostly it's it's made me more conscious of of things um and needing to get my 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 life together and if i'm considering children that kind of thing mm. um it's it's been put on fast forward a bit um mm. but yeah uh, i'm 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 happy with my decision to go with surgical route but i mean it, it is gonna be big change definitely
7: yeah 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 definitely and i suppose like the fact that you are 31 it is that you know when women hit their 30s it is something that they are considering you know having children and you know I was even talking to my friend yesterday about it and you know like this is the age that you kind of start considering it now.
2: Well, I mean I mean as much as the the surgical side of things does you know speed up the timeline i think the the main considerations are main considerations that most young i say Mm. young i'm not young anymore but most people um my age are are like i mean to be honest the bigger biggest barriers are are the cost of living the biggest barriers are the lack of support so around maternity services whether you're a counselor or whether you're a uh, you know, uh, a call center worker or a retail worker. Um, the, the struggles are all the same of like, how the hell are you going to actually pay for all of this and, and do it comfortably? I mean, a lot of us were sold on the idea of, well, you know, you settle down, you, you buy a house or you, 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 you rent even a house is out of the, mm. the, the, the reach of most people my age these days. Um, and that you'd have, you know, savings. Those those days are gone for a large percentage of people my age. Now we we have to make the choice of: Would well, we go ahead and and have families, um, not being as secure as our parents' generation mm-hmm. would be, or do we keep letting letting it wait? You know, if that's not a decision that we prefer, in which case it might be more difficult. So, so I don't consider myself. Um, that much different than the average person really actually given Mm -hmm. my age um it's the same issues it's just i i I need to have a surgery in a couple of years that's that's really the only difference
7: you did have the surgery um in october and it's now what january so how have you been in in
2: time oh and well the 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 recovery is has been fantastic the support I've gotten from um the breast the orchid center and cuh breast clinic and um my plastic surgery team in the cuh has been second to none um I'm really happy with the results the recovery is um was tough um tougher than I thought in way in different ways um um, I was expecting pain, but the pain was actually very well managed. It was more um, excruciating uncomfortableness. It was the swelling. You have to wear compression uh, compression bras. And, you know, um, it just no matter how you, you turned or lie down, it just couldn't get comfortable. That that persisted for a couple of months. But now I'm at the point now where I, I can start to see the results. I'm very happy with the results. And um, my mobility is you know coming on leaps and bounds every week and you know i'm at that point now where i feel like i'm over you know the the worst of it and i'm 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 very
7: pleased And obviously you've had this surgery during a pandemic, which probably didn't help matters either.
2: No, um, actually, I I consider myself very, very lucky. Um, You know, my surgery was had already been delayed a couple of times because of Covid and that's no one's fault. You know, it, it just is what it is. But I managed to I mean, I had my my surgery early October. And uh, I think only a couple of days later, new lockdown measures were put in. So I, I couldn't visit anyone. I couldn't see my parents. I couldn't see my family. You know, I couldn't see my partner. It was, but but the care I got in the CUH was amazing. Um, and, and like, not just care, but like consideration, mm. if you know what I mean. Um, and uh, there's women in my exact situation, for example, um, in Dublin, who were told that, um, they could they could get their mastectomies, but they couldn't get the reconstruction because of the pressure on on um, on beds and the pressure on um the the lack of services that are available in the middle of this crisis. So I, I consider myself extremely lucky in that context that I was able to get the surgery, even if it wasn't in ideal
7: circumstances. You were just lucky, I suppose, with the timing and everything else. Like just.
2: Absolutely, absolutely, and that I had you know very good consultants who were 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 banging the drum for me, and you know I think we're also conscious that it was delayed um so much, and um you know uh again, true no fault of theirs, but um, yeah,
7: definitely, very grateful there may be young women who are listening to this and who are going through the same thing you know that they're have a test ahead of them to find out if they have this gene or they may have just found out that they have it. What kind of advice would you give to them?
0: Well,
2: first and foremost, I would say to any woman with a history of breast cancer in their family to don't panic. Um, you know, it's it's still a rare mutation. Um, and one in five women throughout the course of their lives will develop breast cancer. In, um, but, you know, technology has improved so much screening has improved so much. Um, the care really is there, um, though, of course, services can always be improved. Um, secondly, I would say that um, don't feel in any way, I mean, I, I personally felt supported to make the decision that was right for me. And the decision that's right for me might not be the decision that's right for another person or, you know, a third person. But um, to you know, that, that that there are no, you know, right or wrong answers when it comes to you choosing the treatment mm. that's right for you. Um, and to, t- you know, take time, research the pros, the cons of all sides, um, whether you decide to go with permanent screening, whether you decide to go with preventative surgery. Um, just know that, you know, the choice is yours and um, that there is support there no matter what you decide.
4: What a brave, brave lady. We wish nothing but love and luck and good health to Cork City Councillor Fiona Ryan and thank you to our senior news reporter Fiona Cork. And we're going to take a break. We have news on the way at 11 o'clock. Cork
3: Today on C103. With
5: Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale. Now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. for motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance, cmig.ie. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed.
4: Lucy, by WhatsApp, uh, says, Hi, Patricia, I'd like to say thank you for featuring the BRCA1 gene mutation on your programme today and to send love to Councillor Fiona Ryan who shared her story with us. I am a BRCA1 positive, but sadly... Didn't know until I was diagnosed with ovarian cancer in 2008 at the age of 29. I'm still in and out of treatment to this day and very lucky to be still be beating the statistics. If I'd known my risks, I definitely would have had the surgery that Fiona spoke about. Best of luck to her with the rest of her surgeries. That's from uh, Lucy. And indeed, Lucy, can we wish you the best of luck with your uh, treatment as you go forward and keep keep. Hang in there and keep beating those uh, statistics and uh, stay well. Thank you for your WhatsApp to 0862 103 103. We were speaking about the vaccines in the last hour and in particular talking about the GP practices. And we will have a GP joining us on the programme on Monday just to outline what information the GPs have at this stage as to how the rollout of the vaccine is going to work And in particular, what we're trying to get the message across to people is not to be calling your GP surgery, you know, looking for what day can I come in to get my vaccine? They don't have the vaccines yet, but we're trying to get a timeline and just general advice around the uh, vaccines. Eileen in Oven says, Patricia, my GP service put a post up on their Facebook page advising that they would be contacting their patients when the vaccine would be rolled out for each particular age group and that there was no need for anybody to ring the GP surgery. They will contact us. Uh, One would presume all GP services will be contacting their patients in the same way. Absolutely, because they and they have all of the information on file they know the different patients they know what a patient if they've got an underlying health condition they'll know their age so they'll be able to break it up by age groups uh, etc so yeah i i take it it's the very same for all gp practices thank you for that eileen let me go to the phone lines uh where eddie just wants to bring up this topic of the vaccine rollouts good morning to you eddie
8: good morning patricia
4: Eddie, you're taken aback about the announcement that was made earlier this week. This was the agreement that was made, approved by the Cabinet for GPs and pharmacies to deliver the vaccine uh, rollout locally. The estimated cost presented by the Health Minister Stephen Donnelly to the Cabinet, it'll cost £91 and that the members of the IMO, the doctors and the Irish pharmacy unions will be paid €50 per patient along with a €10 Admin f- uh, fee for the two dose vaccine. You're surprised by that.
8: Yes, Patricia. What happened? The momentum we had last March and April and May of answering Ireland's call. As you pointed out there a couple of months ago, or recently up to a couple of months ago, we didn't think we'd have vaccine until March or April and into the summer. Thank God Christmas came and we we're vaccinating. Next thing, we heard on the radio how they didn't the doctors and the pharmacists were oh, they were ready to come on board when the second vaccine that can be stored in the fridge will become available. Full sure they were going to do to their patients free gratis. No, we discovered they're jumping on the bandwagon. In no way am I picking on the local pharmacists, but unfortunately most of our a lot of our pharmacies today are owned by multinationals. People don't realise that. And
4: yeah, I the bigger chains jumping, that
8: you're talking about. on the back to, to, to make a press book out of this, surely. These people are their bread and butter. They have kept them in jobs and in high living, buying their medicine and everything they need often. Going to the doctor when they're sick. And now we're taught they're creaming off again. The government are caught between a rock and a hard place. They need to get the vaccines out. I reckon they should be ashamed of the ground they're walking on.
4: But it isn't just pharmacies. But it isn't just pharmacies, Eddie. All of every, I mean, most people I think will go to their local GP. A proportion will go to the pharmacy. But I think the majority of people will probably go to their GP to get the vaccine. The GP and the pharmacy will argue we have to get paid for our work.
8: Do they need what they getting paid? Give them, a, give them a nominal fee if, if they're greedy they or I mean, it's only once off. It's not they're going to be doing it for. The, uh, I have no problem when the flu vaccine is over, and if we need to get an annual vaccine like the flu, that we pay for. It. This is a pandemic. We need it. It's an emergency.
4: So you don't think they're putting on the jersey for Ireland and doing their hey, bit for the country?
8: No, no, no. You said it, Patricia.
4: Okay, and I know yes, if, if that's they my part, operate. That's my part in the yeah, OK. And I know if they operate mass vaccination centres, GPs will be paid higher. They'll be paid €120 euro an hour where a pharmacy will be paid uh, 70 But €91 million is the deal that was signed off by Cabinet this week for GPs and uh, pharmacies. And I'm told it's similar to what they get paid on the flu vaccine. OK, Eddie, listen, look after yourself and stay no, safe.
8: I'm just, just, just going to make one other point. You were talking to the men in charge of the nursing homes there where I go. Tight daily. We'll go back when the, when the epidemic started. All of a sudden nursing homes got caught. These nursing homes are charging their patients more than if we kept them in the best hotel in Ireland for. And the very minute they're back they were, were showing the government to come in the state the taxpayer to come in. I reckon all these nursing homes, when this is over, should be built for these private nursing homes that are charging this abnormal amount of money to keep at poor and pay part of what does it cost to keep an old person in a nursing home? What do they eat in the week? they will they're sitting most of them sitting in a chair all day long, or maybe in bed. Just put a Yeah, the but they'll they'll say it, yeah, it, it's, it's they'll the say it's balling. the
4: staff. Yeah, they'll say it's the cost of the staff. Yeah, listen, all right, Eddie, yeah. listen thank you for that that. and uh, uh, that's that's okay that's okay listen thanks for your call 1850 uh, (laughs) 333 103 okay some of your uh, texts uh, coming in to us on actually just let me stay on nursing homes Uh, a listener says when we were talking about nursing homes and by this weekend hopefully every single resident of a nursing home will be vaccinated along with the staff those that are entitled to get it obviously those who are COVID are, are close contacts We'll have to wait. But a listener says, why should nursing home residents get vaccinated first? Having worked in a nursing home in the past, they don't have an open door policy. So it's not easy, for example, to come and go as you please. And certainly it isn't at the moment with the restrictions that are in place. There are no visitors. It's a very sterile environment. Do what other countries, some other countries are doing. They're vaccinating the younger Generation as they are the ones who will catch it and potentially uh, spread it. But I think, and certainly that's happening in China, China are going for, and I think Taiwan I read as well, they are going for, they're vaccinating the workers as opposed to the older uh, generation. But I think in this country, the reason we're targeting the nursing home residents in the older generation is because they have a much higher proportion of dying from COVID-19 than the younger generation, uh, do. And while you're saying, okay, there's not many people in and out of nursing homes. Well, there's certainly no visitors at the moment. And yes, they are uh, very sterile environments and people work very hard to keep them very clean. It unfortunately isn't stopping COVID from getting into nursing homes once. There is COVID in the community. We know this and this has been happening since last March. The knock-on effect is as it rises in the community, it also rises in the nursing home settings. Actually, I was surprised to hear Ty Daly when I asked him what was the outbreaks like at the moment. I was surprised to hear him say it's it's a 20%. So that is really, really high indeed. So I I d- can't agree with you on that. I do think nursing home residents deserve to be vaccinated so that we can protect them. Uh, and absolutely everybody in the wider community deserves to be protected as well. But people, older people, have a higher chance of dying from uh, COVID nineteen. Somebody else then on the vaccine uh, rollout wonders are people worried about the new variants and how will be uh, how will we be affected by the new variants and will the vaccines cover the new variants? If they don't, will we be? back to square one. Well, I think so far if you're following any of the scientific evidence that's coming out about particularly the Pfizer vaccine because that seems to be the one that's been used the most around uh, the world, they certainly are saying that it is protecting against the UK variant and they, they reasonably happy that it's also going to work against the South African variant. Now I know there's a Brazilian one at the moment uh, as well, but the scientists are working at it in the background. But yeah, that's always going to be. It's like the flu vaccine, it has to change every year and obviously they'll do different tweaks on it if a new variant comes that isn't working with the vaccine. But listen, that's not a reason for us to stop rolling out the uh, vaccines. And John Paul says he's had a number of calls in this morning from people who are not happy that the local markets are still going ahead on Friday is typically a day that a lot of the local markets are held. Uh, Many people are complaining that how are the local markets open when a local shop, like a small local shop, non-essential shop has been forced to uh, close. And just to remind you, people working in the markets are not doing anything wrong because under level five restrictions, markets that wholly or principally offer food for sale are allowed to run. Now they do say along with the guidelines, that people must abide by social distancing and all the safety measures need to be in place. And please God, that, that is what's happening at the country markets and the farmers markets that are going on today. But as long as they are wholly or principally selling food then they are allowed to go ahead. And then a listener says, Morning Trish, just listening to you about COVID. I do my weekly shopping once a week and then I stay in until the next shopping day. Anyway, yesterday I was in town to do my weekly shop and I noticed at least three Foreign registered cars. Definitely one was from the United Kingdom and the other two, they were either German or French. I thought the ports were closed to foreign visitors. If they come here, I'm wondering where are they staying? B&Bs should be closed as well as hotels. Maybe I'm wrong. If the UK variant of COVID is so infectious, what's going on? Frightening, but yes, we don't want to keep going in and out of lockdown. That is for sure what is going on. Well, our ports are... Seaports and our airports are still open. And I know what's been spoken about today. The government will consider, consider proposals to introduce mandatory quarantine for passengers who arrive into Ireland and who do not have a valid PCR test showing that they are COVID negative and what gets me with that statement is they're only considering it. I think people have been shouting since the pandemic arrived on our shores back in March as to why are we not doing mandatory quarantine in this country. If we're going to allow our airports and our ports to open then as soon as Plumber gets off the boat, Somebody gets off the plane. They're put into mandatory quarantine for two weeks. The cabinet is coming under increasing pressure to introduce tougher restrictions after the state's public health team said existing Pre-flight tests were not enough and the EU actually, the EU are also looking at a ban on non-essential travel between member states. A government source said nothing has been ruled out in relation to tightening the rules on incoming uh, travel and nothing has been ruled out. I think a lot of things should have been ruled in when it comes to tightening up the incoming inbound uh, traffic there are growing concerns about the spread of, we've got three new variants of COVID-19 at the moment. And if you look at figures of people coming into this country, I was always at the bleach, there's only a couple, a handful of flights. There isn't many people coming into this uh, country. But looking at uh, figures, 3,000 people from South Africa and Brazil and 37,000 people from the UK flew into the States in the five weeks up to January the 11th, that is a lot of people. Neffet last night said that the UK variant now is accounting for more than 60% of all of the samples recently uh, tested. Uh, so definitely the UK variant is taking over in this country. And then Leo Varadkar was being quizzed in the doll about this mandatory 14-day quarantine, which, by the way, is working very successfully in other uh, countries. And he was asked, you know, why can't we introduce that into this country? And he reckons that it would be disproportionate. He also says it would be unworkable. He said that while a zero-COVID policy and a very strict 14-day quarantine for new arrivals might make sense in a country that can control its borders, he admitted in the doll. We can't in the same way because of the open land border between Northern Ireland, uh, he says, which we simply don't want to close. Now, he did say if the UK were to bring in a broader quarantine for travellers, then it might work on a two island basis. But he said it won't work if uh, two thirds and if we're just doing it on the south and they're doing something different in, in the north. And he was responding actually to a question from the leader of the Social Democrats, uh, Catherine um, Catherine Murphy, who had obtained data showing that nearly... 49% 49% of incoming travellers are failing to comply with the passenger locator forms. So if we have nearly half of the travellers coming in refusing to fill in the passenger locator forms, can we be, can we nearly safely say that nearly, that that 49% then certainly are not restricting their movements, which they are asked to do when they fill in that locator form. 1850 333 103. Lines are open. John Paul taking your calls. 0862 103 103.
3: C103 jobs.
4: Prevent a pest. They are looking for a full time pest control con- technician. It's to work in uh, West Cork. General operatives with a construction background are wanted for a concrete polishing company that's in the North Cork area, while a qualified electrician is also required. And Irish Yogurts, they're based in Clonacilty, they're looking for general operatives. You'll find all the details and more job opportunities by going online now. Just go to c103.ie forward slash jobs for more. This is C103.
3: Today on C103 with Sean Cusack
5: Insurance's Kinsale, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. Want great advice? You know who to talk to. See MIG.ie.
4: Lishine's House, which is a community-based mental health charity, received more phone calls from distra- distressed people last week than they had on any other week since the charity started some seven years ago. To find out more, I'm joined by the manager of Lyshean's House, and that is Mick Kearns. Good morning to you, Mick.
9: Good morning, Patricia.
4: Why do you believe this lockdown has been the toughest to date? We're into our third lockdown, but this seems to be the toughest. Why do you think that's so?
9: Well, I suppose, as you said in your your introduction there, uh, Patricia, like last week, the beginning of last week, saw the the highest number of calls we had to our helpline um, in the seven years the House has been in, in existence. And even when the the initial outbreak last March and, and the restrictions that were announced then we, we did get a steady stream of calls throughout the previous nine or ten months, but it just went off the I suppose the Richter scale last week with the amount of people calling and it was almost all exclusively about uh, or or surrounding COVID and COVID related. And what we've dis what we deciphered from the looking back on on, on the calls was the fact that it's now embedded in the community, it's very real all of a sudden, you know, uh, I suppose last year it was kind of further away and not everyone knew someone who had COVID. But after Christmas, this year, post Christmas, it really is well and truly embedded in communities and people are getting very ill across the board, all different ages. Um, and unfortunately people are dying and it's that fear um, that, that is, you know, people are struggling to cope and and they're wondering will it be me next will it be a loved one next what do I do and and they're a bit lost you know
4: And no one knows when this lockdown will end and I'm wondering is that uncertainty adding to people's worries as well
9: 200% um, like there's so many different um, streams of information out there and like in any given day you could you know you you, you could access on, on the internet permanently you know everything from the the virus not being real to it will be over tomorrow and different thing about the vaccines that are out there so there's a whole um, mix of information out there and you know a lot of it is very unhelpful because it really adds to to people's fear and and anxiety by you know this 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 multitude of misinformation that's out there And it's vitally important that that people, you know, turn to trusted news sources. Like the job you're doing there, Patricia, you didn't start today or yesterday doing it. You know, you've been doing it a long time. And, you know, 703 has been there a long time. And, you know, other um, forms of media that people have trusted over the years, that's really who we should be turning to for our information and not some of this stuff that... Yeah, because some of
4: it... And particularly on social media, Mick, it's just unbelievable some of the, uh, to coin Trump, some of the fake news uh, that's out there. And if you have people relying on social media as their main form of news, that's a real worry.
9: It is. And like, I suppose we only have to look at America a couple of weeks ago, what happened there on the strength of someone repeating a lie, you know, um, it's very damaging. And like, you know, we're all different. We all have different, um, I suppose, levels of tolerance and levels of, of um, you know, strength when it comes to deciphering what's, what's real and what's fake. But if someone is vulnerable and they're worried already, if they see something and they click on it, they can, you know, come out of that a lot worse than before they read it. So it, it it isn't just fake news for you know that it is harmless. It it can be very very damaging. So it really is important for people you know to to rely on trusted news sources, you know, be it online or it is through the radio or, or newspapers to 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 give them their their information. And just one other thing, okay. that, you know, yeah, yeah. Sorry to one other thing. We're uh, no, is, no, no, go on. Is is what we're calling was one of our counselors, uh kind was the blame game. And you're seeing it creeping up on social media where, you know, people are looking at left and right in their communities and blaming someone for spreading COVID. And, you know, it's a very dangerous game. And, and you know, the people that they know might have had had COVID, but, you know, they, they, they were seen in the local supermarket or in the local petrol station. And they're, you know, turning to social media and I saw such and such out and they shouldn't be out they're spreading it and that's a very dangerous game and you know covid has really done enough damage to us to our society and to our communities without you know adding another string to its bow or pinning another middle to its chest by leaving its um causing rifts and and division because like the only way we're going to um defeat this and that's what we have to do and it is the con- common enemy is 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 by galvanizing ourselves and doubling down On doing what we've been doing all along—with washing the hands, sanitising, wearing masks, social distancing—all those things we have been doing by and large—and that's the only thing we can do—is—is to confine, you know, COVID-19 to the to the history books, you know. And once that's done, we can then look back, and you know, you know, and it'll make us realise, you know, we were a lot tougher than what you know we thought we were because. I suppose if someone told us nine or ten months ago, you know, what was ahead, we'd say, you know, no, we, we just wouldn't be able to cope. But we've got there week by week, you know, day by day, week by week, we've got there and we've got through it together.
4: And there is light at the end of the tunnel uh, with the vaccine. And you're, you're so right about, you know, calling people out, what they should and shouldn't be doing. I constantly say to people, don't worry about what your next door neighbour is doing. You look after your own patch. We all have personal responsibility. And just if you think somebody is breaching various rules and regulations, just give them a, a wide berth. And only yesterday, uh, Mick, I had the wonderful Katrina Toomey from Cork Penny Dinners join me on the programme, and she was speaking about the increase in people looking for help. They've never seen anything like the number of people coming to her, coming to Penny Dinners looking for food. Uh, and this lockdown more so than any of the other two lockdowns. So I, from that you take it, financial worries now are starting to kick in for a lot of people.
9: Absolutely, and, and that's again what we're hearing. You know, like many people, unfortunately, have lost their jobs, especially when when certain sectors close down just before Christmas and again after Christmas. And people are having to live on on vastly reduced incomes. And again, I suppose the difference this year to last is there was forgiveness last year with in relation to loans from the banks and, and breaks from mortgages. And, and you know, people who have small businesses and stuff that was for forgiven us there for, for, for rent, you you know, but that kind of isn't so much in in play now, and and that brings huge strain. And like you know, like we we're saying, you know, all, most of our calls, as you said, the vast majority were COVID related, but other problems haven't gone away, you know. So people are having to deal with their existing everyday worries, but albeit now on unreduced reduced um, means. And I can well understand why people would be turning to the carpenny to dinners because, you know, ev- everything, you know, has, has changed for people. And, you know, you're, you're going to be made of stone for not to affect you, you know. So I can well understand.
4: And are you getting calls, Mick, from all age groups?
9: Across the spectrum, absolutely. Because quite simply, Patricia, it affects everyone. And, like, you know, this is something none of us have experienced before, you know it it's it's coming at us 24/7 over a prolonged period of time and people are really struggling of, of of how to get their their head around it like even the 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 issue with with people worried about their children in school their exams their futures you know their their jobs you know everyone and like even from the oldest people you, you know who who just wanted to go out who, you know, had life experience behind them and were able to cope with things. This is something, you know, new to them and and they're struggling. And the youngest people then who, you know, want to live and be young, which we all had the benefit of before this came along when we were young, that's taken away from them. So it's a huge challenge, you know.
4: But okay, so off, what's your, your message then? Your message to people today, uh, Mick, is it to reach out, share your worries, share your concerns, just don't bottle it all up?
9: 200%. Um, like, the, w- with any problem, Patricia, the only way that, one of the primary ways of solving it is, is to talk it through and see, you know, identify what, what's worrying me, why is it worrying me, how is it affecting me? And if you keep that to yourself, it's always the worst case scenarios will pop up in your head and that can drag you down further and further. So loud and clear, what we want to say today is please reach out, be it to a family member, a friend, a neighbour, and just, you know, we are, in, I know it's a cliche, but we are all in this together. Or even reach out to us here at lishine's House or many of the other services that are available. There has never been so much help out there. But please, please, don't keep it to yourself. We're there. We have a panel of counsellors, trained professionals who deal with this every day. And, they 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 just help you make sense of it. There's no shame in 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 you know saying I'm struggling. Absolutely zero. The only shame is if you don't reach out and if and you let it get you down. And then COVID, really is because you know. So I, I would. Okay, and
4: people can struggling. reach Lishine's. Your number is oh h- 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 yes. yes, two three double h triple h double h double h. It's all the eights.
9: Oh and seven 8. Yeah.
4: Okay. Okay. And how are you getting on fundraising wise?
9: Well, I suppose we, three income streams, um, you know, we were fundraising and uh, people doing fundraising for us and giving us donations and they made our shops. Now, the fundraising is gone, unfortunately, and understandably because of, you, you know, social distancing. So our shops are closed, but we are we are selling, we've gone online, bad knowledge online we been given out about it sometimes, but through our, our Leasing House Furniture Facebook page, we're selling online. Uh, but look, if anyone out there is—and this isn't a begging ball, but if anyone is considering doing um, any type of fundraisers from you know next month onwards, they might think of us. Um, we'd, well we'd, done. We'd, we'd, we'd be thrilled, you know. But
4: okay, we'll, listen. We'll continue done. good we'll luck, luck with the work that what continue good luck with the great work that you and the gang at Lishian's House are doing, um, Mick. And thanks a million for joining us today.
9: No problem. Thank you, Patricia.
4: Good morning, Chief. Bye bye. That morning. is uh, Mick Kearns of Lishine's House, 023 8888888. Pieta House is also available on one 247, 247 and Samaritans at one one six one two three. John Paul taking calls here at 1850 You can text or WhatsApp 0862 103 103
3: on C103 with Sean
5: Cusack Insurance's Kinsale now part of McCarthy Insurance Group they don't just talk the talk they walk the walk CMIG.ie
4: Feature writer and broadcaster Graeme Clifford founder of the Sanctuary Runners here in Cork has proposed a National Day of Thank Yous to try to put a positive twist on the current pandemic we all find ourselves living through and i say Graeme Clifford joins me Good morning to you Graeme
1: Good morning Patricia
8: hope you're well
4: I'm very well, and I want to start by thanking you for coming up with this, because I think this is terrific. You want the Day of Thanks to be on February the 28th. Just explain why and how you came up with this whole concept.
1: Sure. Well, I suppose I was talking to people in the uh, Fermoy International Choir. We we talked about that choir before Christmas, um, Patricia, and we were trying to come up with a way of doing something in the coming weeks and months um, I guess, to help people and so on. And, and this idea kind of came out of that. Um, the first case of COVID-19 in the in, in this country was on the 29th of February of last year, uh, last year being a leap year. And so on the 28th of February, um, I guess my fear is that you can imagine the Sunday newspapers that morning, Patricia, you can imagine, you know, looking back on a year in despair and sadness, um, and looking forward with some trepidation as well. Every time we turn on the news, it's not clear, I guess, what the next 6-12 months hold, And that can be very um, difficult for people. And we've seen that at this, in this particular part of the pandemic, it's more difficult for people in terms of motivation, keeping the spirits up, and staying positive. So what I wanted to do was come up with something that was simple, that everybody could take part in, that was very necessary, and would enable what would be a very dark time perhaps to be, um, to be swapped with a bit of light and a bit of gratitude and a positive distraction, I suppose, Patricia. So that's the idea that everybody, everybody has had someone or, or some people that have helped them over the hump over the last 12 months when they felt low and down and desperate. And it may not necessarily always be the person you, you live with. It might be the guy in the, the local shop who's always positive Or it might be the postman who is forever jolly, rain, hail or shine. Or the stranger who walks past your house but always says hello every morning. You know, to thank people like that would be so special, I think, both for the people saying thanks and for the people receiving thanks.
4: Yeah. And, you know, like lots of people have, we all, I think, have so much to be thankful for this year. I mean, you would have people who would have got COVID, ended up in hospital and, you know, very thankful to doctors and nurses and, and ICU staff. But I think th- the key to this are the people who do those small little acts of kindness. And people don't do acts of kindness looking for thanks. But it's always lovely to acknowledge them, isn't it?
1: Oh, totally. But But I mean... It, 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 it it's what keeps the world, the, the wheel turning in life, really, you know, sound, kind, generous acts of kindness that lift the other person. You know, I was talking to somebody yesterday and they were sitting down to write a note to somebody who wrote a book who they'll never meet, It's some woman in America, but the book helped them through a difficult time during the pandemic. And I thought that was lovely. I can imagine the author opening that note and going, oh my God, somebody in Ireland is saying thanks. Um but it, it could also be the radio presenter on every weekday morning who, who, who's giving you a structure <laughs> to your day. I'm, I really mean it. Like, I'd be lost without, <laughs> without that element. And sometimes we take that for granted, Patricia, you know. And You uh,
4: are beyond kind. You are beyond <laughs> kind. And you'd like people to share their thanks on social media. With, you, you've come up with a hashtag.
1: Yeah, I mean, we'd love if we could get a million people in Ireland to do this. It's only one-fifth of the population. I'm not asking for much. Yeah, right. But, you know, um, and then we said thanks a million is a uniquely Irish kind of phrase. So that's our hashtag. Hashtag is is thanks a million. So what people can do, I suppose, Patricia, is they don't, like, I was talking to my brothers down at home in Kerry, and these are the kind of lads that saying thank you and being cheesy is they're immune to it, you know, but they understand why this is important to do on the 28th of February. And so they're just going to send a text message to you know, their friend down the road uh, in a manly way saying, thanks a million there for helping me out last week or whatever. And that's fine too, you know. But people can uh, send you yeah, a text message or a WhatsApp or an email or a TikTok or do a video, write a poem, write a song, do a painting, anything, you know. Uh, like what I'm going to do, Patricia, is I'm going to make a sign and stick it in my front garden and on the next morning, the Monday morning, when the lads come to empty the bin, it's going to be a thanks just for them, the, the, the guys working in, in, on the bin lorry. Because I'm sure people don't stop and thank them probably that often, but their work is crucial and important and valued. So, Absolutely. hashtag thanks a million if you want, and if you don't, that's fine too.
4: And it, it, this is a relatively new uh, suggestion, but it, it really is gaining attention online, isn't it?
1: It is I suppose you know I was talking to j p before I came on air, We were saying like suppose no, people are desperate for a, a bit of positivity and a distraction that kind of lifts them out of this kind of monotonous constant uh, you know day after day situation, and I think that 's why people have grabbed onto it um, and yeah it's it, it's very popular um And I think it will grow. You know, I'm starting it slow and we'll build it and we'll build it and we'll build it. And hopefully by the time we get to that last week in February, rather than being totally and utterly consumed with the figures and what's been happening over the last 12 months, we stop and we say thank you to those who have helped us along the way to get us to this point.
4: Well done. Well done. It's a brilliant concept. And of course, we can be thankful to you in the month of February. You'll be celebrating three years since the Sanctuary Runners was set up and yes. that's something that's really, really grown since uh, 2018.
1: God, you, I, you know something? I didn't even, it didn't even click with me. It's actually probably 23 uh, years uh, next uh, week. Yeah, I mean that, the Sanctuary Runners is about enabling uh, people in the wider Irish public to run alongside and in solidarity with people in direct provision. During normal times we could do it since the pandemic. We've been able to do it in pods at various times but it's very difficult and people in direct provision um, you know, because they're in a congregated setting, it's particularly dif- difficult for them during the pandemic. So, again, that's about solidarity, friendship and respect. And at the end of the day, as we saw actually during the inauguration in the States this week, respect is the big one. And respect means gratitude as well. And so all those things together will lift us as a society and get us through this.
4: Yeah, or as somebody said on a Vox Pop when they, we had a, we had somebody over there doing a Vox Pop from Washington and was asked, you know, what do they want from Joe Biden? And, uh, the young girl said, uh, decency. I want decency. And, you know, and I think at the core of us as Irish people. I think we are decent people and I think this is a lovely way to recognise people that have helped you out in any small way. It might have been in a big way, but also in a small way. We wish you luck with it, Graham. We will check in with you again uh, before uh, the, at the end of February. But thanks a million to you for coming up with this concept and for taking time out to talk to us this morning.
1: Thanks a million, Patricia.
4: Good morning to you. Bye bye. Graeme Clifford. there, founder of the Sanctuary Runners and now founder of this National Day of Thank Yous. Who would you like to thank? You've got the opportunity to think about it and then it'll be at the end of February, the last day of February, the 28th of February, we'll be asking people uh, to share with us what they have done and how they've thanked people. And it can be a small thing, it can be a big thing, it can give flowers, But a simple thank you card, a simple text or even a simple pick up the phone and ring someone to say thank you. And just acknowledge something that somebody has done during what has been a really, really tough year for so many people.
5: You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed
4: and that really is what the uh, the thank you, the National Day of Thank You that Graham spoke about. It's how we'll all get by with a little help from our friends. Helen in Ballinadee says, this thanks a million idea is such a great concept. It is so positive. We often think, oh, isn't this person great for doing this or that? Uh, and even always greeting us with a smile and a bit of sincerity. I hope lots of people act on this and take up this suggestion of a National Thank You Day on the 28th of February. It's a way of spreading spreading gratitude and uh, kindness. Uh, It is indeed. Thank you for that, uh, Helen. And thank you for your WhatsApp. Jim says, it's a great week for Ireland We have Joe Biden as the new President of America and my neighbour, Mrs. Landers in Kilbenny in Mitchelstown, was 100 years old. We played a request for her during the week. Uh, Well done. And that is from Jim. And here's uh, a wonderful show of kindness as well. Catherine was on to us. Remember Catherine who, uh, who did that wonderful cookbook The Old Time Recipe At Christmas, that so many of our listeners contacted us about, and so many people wanted to get their hands uh, on it. Well, she's been back to us this morning with an update to say uh, that she has raised almost four and a half thousand. Euro from the sale of this book. Now she's divided up between a number of different charities and helping out local families in need. And her local St Vincent de Paul the, uh, group got a sizable donation from the uh, proceeds of it. Anyway, she's still had people looking for the book, and she's been self putting it together, printing it herself, and putting it together at home. So she needed to get her hands on the A4 paper that she uses. To print these books. So she said she was in desperate need of it and it's not your normal A4 paper and she couldn't get her hands on it anywhere. So she put it up on social media saying, does anybody know where I can buy this special A4 paper? It's a 100 gram A4 paper. She said lots of people were giving her suggestions on who she could try and where she could try and where she might be able to get it. And she said, lo and behold, Nick from O'Shea's Office Supplies in Balancholic contacted her to say yeah, they stocked it. So Catherine was down in West Cork saying now I need to get from West Cork to Ballancolic it's outside my 5k so she said she was prepared to go into the local garden station to see could she get permission to go in the car go to Ballancolic to O'Shea's office supplies to pick up this A4 paper that she needs and she said anyway this morning. She got a message saying that the boss from O'Shea's, a gentleman by the name of Donna, wanted to donate a full box of the paper when he heard that it was for Catherine's old-time recipe book and all the work that she's done for charity. And she said literally an hour later, this wonderful kind man arrived at her door with the box of the A4 paper that she was looking for. And she said, uh, Catherine said, it was the best feeling in the world. And she wants us to publicly say a well done to O'Shea's off for supplies in Balancholic. There's a great, there's a typical example of kindness and the generosity of other people. So well done to Donna and all the gang at O'Shea's office supplies in Balancholic and to Catherine for the wonderful book that she has produced. And we will continue to produce, thanks to that uh, donation. Well done. Now, we also have somebody in a bit of a pickle. See if we can get some advice for this uh, listener, please. It's a phone problem, yet again. Hi, Patricia. My husband is at his wits' end with Post Phone. He's been with Post Phone for many years. He has a small, basic phone. However, last Saturday morning, I decided to buy him a long overdue new phone. So off I went to Vodafone to purchase the new phone, which I duly did. My husband had to take himself in with his old phone to Vodafone, which he did at about 12 noon last Saturday. They told him within two to three hours he would be swapped over. It didn't happen. So we went back in again at four o'clock. They said, hold out. It should be switched over by about quarter to six on Saturday. Still no transfer from Unpussed. Phone. They told us wait until Monday, but nothing happened on Monday. Here we are today, Friday, nothing has changed. Now, my husband works as a salesman, so he needs his phone for his work. On post, do not want to release his phone to Vodafone. That's what Vodafone are telling us what would you or any of your listeners advise us to do? I have emailed, by the way, the complaints department of On Post, but heard nothing back. He currently has two phones at home, of which none of them are working. I'd be delighted to hear if any of your listeners have any suggestions. Has that happened to anyone else? That seems really bizarre, that you would be waiting from NASA. Almost, it'll be a week tomorrow that her husband is without a phone. Now, by the way, we have emailed On Post Mobile for Aileen to see if we can push it on a little bit and get anything sorted out. But has that happened to anybody else? Does any Anybody else have suggestions of what Aileen can do for her husband in order? I mean, if you're a salesman who, who needs, you need your phone for work. It does seem absolutely incredible. 1850 333 103. If you can help us with that one. John in Skibberine says, this is on vaccination. Can we not bring in the army? To a central location to facilitate the rollout of the vaccines. Our army are never called out in emergencies in this country as they do in other countries. Why can't we use the army? So many of our army have medical training for these situations. And we did hear this morning that the army has been called out actually, and they've gone into uh, a number of nursing homes. I know last weekend. The nursing homes were just so stuck for staff that the army has have come in and, and helped. Could they be used for, for vaccines? Uh, why not? Tom in Mallow says if people are coming into this country and they are failing to sign the form. And uh, according to what we heard this week, 49% of people failed to fill in the locator form, which is Basically, you're meant to fill it in to say where you're going to be and where you're going to self-isolate for the 14 days. And if they won't fill in the form, uh, my question is, are they self-isolating? So Tom said, if that is uh, going on, then what we simply need to do, if they refuse to fill in the form, send them back. Who is running this country? Those who want to do what they want are our government we're also talking about social media every week well if you look on Snapchat or Instagram you'll see the number of house parties that are still taking place I've seen house parties with 15 to 20 people who are they codding I once again make the call that so many others as Tom and and Mallow have made in the past close all the off licences close them down for two weeks if they can close all the wet bars and the restaurants and the gastropubs then surely they can close off the off licences I ask again who is running this uh, country. Some of your WhatsApps coming into us. Patricia, listening to you as usual, have to make a comment. I was in my local supermarket around two o'clock yesterday. When I walked in, it was OK. But as I got around the middle aisle, aisles. oh my God, I went around more than once waiting for an opportunity to grab what I needed. There were so many people in the supermarket. No social distancing going on whatsoever. Now, I did ask the checkout girl, why are you so busy? And the answer was, where we are, a hundred customers are allowed in at any one time. It's a large supermarket and it's up to us, the customers, to do the social distancing. I was really worried by it. Patricia, please don't call out my uh, name. And you've, you, well, you did the right thing by moving from aisle to aisle until it was, it was free. Yeah, I mean, can you, I I mean, two o'clock on Thursday, was that just a busy time? Maybe try to pick the time that you go to the supermarket if you find the times that you're going is particularly busy. That's the only suggestion that I can give you. But yeah, it does seem. But I suppose from the supermarket's point of view, they are limited in how many they can leave in and they can't be going around saying to people, you need to they have signs up all over about the two metres. It is all 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 of us ourselves with personal responsibility. And if you are somewhere and you're not feeling comfortable and you're feeling there are too many people on top of you, you can say to somebody, please give me my two metres. Are leave the shopping and come back at a time when hopefully it will be a little bit quieter. Patricia says, John, the government are on about quarantining and tightening up the rules on those coming into this uh, country. Well, my question uh, today to you is who's going to police it? I have a next door neighbour who recently returned from Lanzarote. No self-isolation going on. there, are limiting their movements and to make it worse, they're blowing about it all over the place. They are a law unto themselves. Should they see themselves as great people? Not much between the years there though, says John. Yeah, and my advice to you is John, give them a wide uh, berth. Hi, can you tell me please, are people allowed to go and visit their holiday homes? Skull, where I live, is full of summer houses and people are staying them staying in them. It's so hard to go get your weekly shopping with the larger crowds that are in the area, even to go out and take a walk. You're running into so many people who don't live here permanently, says uh, Mary. And do I take it that people moved uh, to their holiday homes at Christmas when they were allowed to do it? And of course, because the children haven't gone back to school and remote learning with children, the children can be from Dublin, Donegal, Galway. And they can be staying in West Cork, so I'm assuming that's how they've ended up in their holiday homes. But no, there are no rules around them not staying there if they If they travelled there when they were allowed to travel I mean, I'm assuming if this weekend somebody decided to go a hundred kilometres to their holiday home they could and more than likely would be stopped by the Gardaí and turned around and and are fined uh, €100. Euro. Hi, Patricia. You had somebody on earlier who was talking about a shortage of staff in nursing homes. Yeah, that was Ty Daly, the CEO of uh, Nursing Home Ireland. And he also mentioned there's a shortage of staff in hospitals. My suggestion, is this, Texter, why don't they vaccinate all of the staff and leave all the residents until later? Surely if the staff are vaccinated, the residents in the nursing homes won't get it. At the moment, families are not allowed to visit their loved ones in nursing homes until everyone is vaccinated. So the only people that can be bringing it in are the workers bringing it in to the nursing homes, so surely vaccinate all of the staff first. I know a lot of people might not agree, agree with me says this texter, but surely that does make sense and yeah, and well you 're right about the nursing home residents uh, they don 't have anybody- vis- visiting them, and there 's so much in the community that it must be brought in by the staff who by the way are you know i'm I sure i 'm 99% sure all of them are doing the very best not to pick up COVID, but there's so much COVID in, in the community, it's hard not to. So that's it's a, a valid enough argument. If you vaccinate all of them, then surely they, they can't bring it in. But then, of course, we, we don't know yet when you're vaccinated, can you still pick it up and are you still shedding it and passing it on to other people? That's the dilemma that we're faced with with the vaccinations at the moment. And Liz is making a similar suggestion for doctors, nurses and teachers. She's saying vaccinate the lot of them. At least they will be able to go back to work and some kind of normality might uh, proceed. Hi, Patricia, look at all the car tax that has been paid since the start of this pandemic. We're paying money for nothing, says John. We don't use the roads. We haven't been using the roads for months and even... When we do try to use them, they haven't been repaired. Are we pure fools or what? Why can't we be refunded part of our road tax? Or surely we should all collectively refuse to pay our road tax when it is next due? And then John and Cara is staying on a similar topic but going from car tax to car insurance. John says, I'm wondering, have any of your listeners heard anything about refunds on car insurance for this year? Maybe they'll deduct a large sum from next year's policy. After all, many people have parked their cars up for months. There's some people who've got their cars parked in the driveway for six months. They haven't used the cars at all. So insurance companies must be laughing all the way to the bank. People need to play hardball this year. Come on, insurance companies. And don't mind your €30 Euro refunds, which you give Gave last year as a nice gesture. It is payback time. And that's from John in uh, Carrigaline. And Mary in West Cork is making an inquiry on behalf of a friend of hers who is now living on €203 Euro a week. His business sadly had to close down due to COVID and Mary is wondering would her friend be entitled to a fuel allowance? He's using about two bags of coal a week and he really can't afford the uh, fuel. Okay, for fuel allowance you have to apply for fuel allowance. It comes in under the household benefits package. Now there are a number of people who qualify for fuel allowance who are in receipt of a number of different social welfare payments. I've looked down through the list of who qualifies for the fuel allowance. And unfortunately, I don't see any of the pandemic payments on it. And I'm assuming if your friend is on 203 euro a week, it's a pandemic payment he's on. But even if it isn't a pandemic payment, if it is a job seekers uh, allowance, you can get fuel allowance if you're on job seekers allowance but she must be on it for more than 15 months and if his business closed due to COVID then he's not on it for 15 months but what I suggest, you know, nothing ventured, nothing gained, I would suggest that he gets on to the Department of Social Protection and applies I say that whenever we get calls in like that from people wondering are they entitled uh, to something, you know, you have nothing to lose by telling him to apply 1850 333 uh, lines are open, John Paul taking your calls you can text our WhatsApp to
3: 103 103 The C103 Cork Diary
4: With Cork County Council's Community
5: Support Program Here to assist vulnerable people With their daily needs Through the COVID-19 pandemic See corkcoco.ie.
4: The Cope Foundation are appealing for people to participate in their 300,000 Steps Challenge during the month of February. You register online at copefoundation.ie forward slash February Challenge and it's to help raise funds for projects and programs that empower and support people with intellectual disability and autism across Cork City and County. And Cork County Council's COVID-19 Community Response Program is a coordinated community response to assist vulnerable persons with their daily needs. If you or anyone you know needs help in accessing non-emergency and non-medical supports or advice, then you can call their dedicated confidential free phone number on 1800 805 819 or text 085 870 9010 You can also email covidsupport at courtcoco.ie. And Mallow Meals on Wheels would like to remind people they're available Monday to Friday for deliveries to regular and new clients. They would especially like to hear from people who are isolating. Phone Eleanor on 087 289 1641. If you would like anything included in our future community diaries then please email info at c103.ie
3: Court
5: today on C103. With Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale. Now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. Want great advice? You know who to talk to. See mig.ie.
4: And some of your texts uh, coming into us. John says, Patricia, by WhatsApp, the government is putting the citizens in danger. It now transpires that 45% of people coming into this country are not followed up by contact tracers. We now need to stop people from the UK, South Africa, and Brazil entering our country. The South African and Brazilian strains of the virus could be immune to the vaccine. We need to act now, says uh, John. Well, rest assured, John, as I mentioned, Earlier on in the programme, government ministers are, will consider proposals to introduce mar- mandatory quarantining. And I know a lot of people are feeling they shouldn't be considering it. It should be in now. And Jim and Ballin colleague uh, says, afternoon, Patricia, uh, when the locator forms, 49% not filling in the locator forms, the minute they get off the plane, if they haven't the forms filled in, then they should be back, put back on the plane and they should be refused entry into the country, they should not be allowed to leave the uh, airport. And on vaccinations, Mike says, uh, hi, uh, Patricia, people... Still, do not seem to understand that they will be vaccinated when the vaccine becomes available. We will only be getting the vaccine bit by bit, and we have to wait for the AstraZeneca vaccine to get approval, which should happen at the end of this month. And when the vaccine arrives, we'll all get it eventually. Our turn will come. Be it at the GPs, are at the chemist, and I know uh, Stephen Donnelly came out and reckoned the everyone who wants to get the vaccine wants to get a vaccine will be vaccinated by September of this year. We keep our fingers crossed for that. And hi Patricia, I ask your listeners please to think and pray for the residents and the staff of those nursing homes who are at war with the virus, especially our own local nursing homes here in Cork whose staff are working so hard to look after our loved ones affected with COVID-19. Please say a prayer over the weekend for those residents and for the staff. Thanking you and thank you. That's a really nice uh, kind comment to uh, Send in. Now, John Paul uh, joins us to look through the figures from the local electoral areas as to the confirmed cases of COVID 19 over the last uh, two weeks. Good afternoon to you, John Paul.
10: Good afternoon, Patricia.
4: Okay, we are looking at, as I say, these are over 14 days. The figures were very high last week. They're high again this week, even though they've come down slightly. It'll be next week before we really start to see a fall in the local electoral area figures for Cork City and County. And we're going to start with the Bantry electoral area.
10: Yeah, we are. And here in Bantry, this is taken in Drummaleague, Cassaton Bear and also the Mizen and Beira Peninsulas. The last week the cases here were three hundred and fifty nine. This week in that area it has reduced to three hundred and six confirmed cases. And we'll go to Skibbereen. And, and Skibbereen is a large area taken in Dunmanway, Ross Carberry, obviously Skibbereen itself, Banleen and the clonakilty areas. Confirmed cases last week were 432. This week that has gone up to 443. And the bandon Kinsale electoral area here, another large area taken in in Shannon. Also Timalee, Kilbriton, and parts of Newcestown and Balgoolie areas. Last week, one of the highest in the county this was at seven hundred and fifty. That has decreased some bit to six hundred and thirty-four this week. And to Carigaline, here we're looking at Crosshaven, Myrtleville, Ballygarvan and Ringaskiddy. Last week there was five hundred and sixteen confirmed cases in this area. This week that is at four hundred and seventy. And then into the city where we're looking at the south west ward first. Uh, again, a large area here, Ballyn in this ward, also Wilton, Correheen and areas of Toker. Uh, there were 771 cases there last week. It has increased in this area to 821. And then to the south central area of the city, where you have Toker, Kinsale Road, and Turner's Cross. Last week 624 cases here, uh, that has increased as well to 663 confirmed cases in the south central area of Cork City. And to the south east of the city where you're in Rochestown, Douglas and the Mahan areas in Black Rock, last week 1, 000, 1,049 confirmed cases here last week, one of the highest in Cork. This week that has reduced to 944 and then when we cross over to the north side of the city and we're in Mayfield here, Tivoli, Montanotti and Glanmire in the city northeast, there was 603 confirmed cases here last week. That has gone now to 707 cases. And then for the northwest in Blarney, Nognahini, Holly Hollyhill and the Sunday's well area of the city, Last week here there was 529 confirmed cases Uh, that now has gone to 671 confirmed cases this week. And back to the county areas to Macroom and a large area here going from Mill Street, Ballingiri, Cladove, Coachford, Kilmurray and the Crookstown areas. Last week there was 342 in this area. That has gone to 388 confirmed cases this week. To Kenturk, where you're taking in the towns of Charnival and Newmarket also, Bally Desmond, Kishgame, Tully Tullylis, Dromina uh, and those areas are included in Kanturk. Last week, 233. This week that has increased to 249 for the Kanturk area. To the Mallow local electoral area, where you are including what event Lumberstown Areas like Glantan, Buin, and New Pot House, Drumahan, and Granat. Last week there was three hundred and forty-four here. That has gone to three hundred and fifty-eight confirmed cases this week. And to Fermoy, where you were taken in the town of Mitchellstown, also Castle Lyons, Kilworth, Donrail, Chambani and Glanworth, and those areas are included within Fermoy. Last week five hundred and seven cases here. That now is at five hundred and thirteen confirmed cases this week. To the Cove area, again a large area here going from Carrick-Navar right over via Watergrassil, Nograha and carrick to Cove itself. Uh, 465 cases last week, that has now gone to 423 confirmed cases this week. And finally, we're going to the Middleton area. And again, like so many areas in Cork, it's a large area sprawling from Yale right to Middleton itself, taking in Ballycotton, Ladies Bridge and Dungourney. Uh, last week, 364 cases here. Uh, that now is at 416 cases this week. So some areas have reduced and some areas have increased.
4: OK, but it's very slightly in both decreases and increases. Very slightly, yeah. the fourth. And that's the fourteen-day incident from the fifth of January up to the eighteenth uh, of uh, January, which was last uh, Monday. And it's that first week. The figures that the week of the fifth of January, the figures were quite high, but there has been a decrease across last week, uh, across the previous week, and certainly last week. So they should be reflected this time next week. John Paul, when we have you back in the studio, taking a look at the figures, we should be seeing a noticeable drop.
10: We should be next week. We should see more of a drop. Yeah.
4: Okay, All right. Thank you for that, uh, John Paul. And thanks uh, for uh, joining us. Some of your texts coming in on uh, quarantining. Jim says, I saw on the TV that the English government were going to pay people £500 for people to self-isolate. But what's stopping them just taking the money and moving around unless they're quarantined in a hotel? That's what we need to do with quarantining people. We need to put them into quarantine quarantined hotels like what they do in New Zealand and Australia and Pat is picking up on the Australian model says uh, Patricia the tennis players who are travelling to Melbourne in Australia for the Australian Open which is due to take place in February they were taken straight off the plane and put into a hotel and they have to stay there for two weeks full stop there is no questions asked. If they want to take part in the Australian Open, they have to do the two weeks uh, quarantine. Why can't we introduce something similar here? And thank you to a Whatsapper picking up on one of our listeners who was making the point earlier that their car has been parked up for almost six months and why are they not getting money back on on road tax why are they paying insurance and is, is it all a big rip off somebody's making the point you can declare your car off the road for car tax online and you can also get money back on your insurance but it must be off the road for at least 28 days that might be worth looking into and just staying on a driving topic this came in from Khan um, to us last week and my apologies I'm only getting around uh, to this Khan uh, Con contacted us because he was listening into a recent piece that we did on UK drivers living here in Ireland and the need for them to swap their license for an Irish driver's license. And this of course had to happen from the start of the year due to uh, Brexit. But Con contacted us because he said, My problem is slightly different. I have a home in Cork but I also have a home in the United Kingdom. I have an Irish registered van that I drive while I'm here in Ireland. Therefore, I cannot exchange my UK licence because I'm not a full-time resident in Ireland. I normally spend between three and four months in Ireland and the rest of the time in the United Kingdom. I've tried to get information from the RSA, but I'm not getting any help. Perhaps you or one of your listeners might be able to throw some light on this and help me out. I don't know what to do. I don't know what is the legal side of it when I'm driving in uh, Ireland. So we got on to the RSA on Con's behalf and they came back and said, to apply for a driving licence, you must be normally resident in Ireland. You're considered to be normally resident in Ireland if, because of personal or occupational ties, you usually live here for at least 185 days in each calendar year. If a person generally is not here for 185 days annually then they are not deemed a resident according to the definition and therefore is a visitor. As a visitor you're entitled to drive on your UK licence. So Khan you are fine to hang on to your UK licence because when you are here for either you say three or four months if you're here for three months a little over 90 days if you're here for four months it's a little over 120 days so you are well under at 185 days so you are not a resident you are a visitor 1850 333 103 John Paul back taking your calls you can text or whatsapp 0862 103 103
3: Cork Today on C103 With John Cusack
5: Insurances Kinsale now part of McCarthy Insurance Group they don't just talk the talk they walk the walk CMIG.ie
3: This is the Cork Today replay on C103
12: That's stamps.com. Code program.
4: And Mark Malone, our movie reviewer, joins us to give us some recommendations for some movies we might watch this weekend. Good afternoon to you, Mark. Hi, Patricia. Okay, you have watched two movies. One is called The Night Sky and one is called Echo Boomers. We have a quick trailer from the... the i The Midnight Sky.
12: Take a deep breath. That's either the spaceship coming back from a planet that we hoped would be our future. But we lost contact. Now, I have to warn them about the conditions on Earth.
10: All right! I thought I lost you. If
12: there's anyone out there, they'll hear us.
4: Now this is the Midnight uh, Sky with George uh, Clooney and Mark, I was reading a piece during the week about George Clooney. He reckons he's no longer a sex symbol because of his age, but I beg to differ. Now this is a post-apocalyptic tale. Tell us the storyline. Uh,
13: yeah, I mean, yeah. This is uh, George Clooney with a big, big Roy Keane white beard, by the way. So he's not—he's not trying to, uh, you know, be a sex symbol in this at all. And I mean, quite the contrary, it means a very, very kind of at, at times a very very dark character that he's kind of playing here. Um, he's basically the, the the only man, one of the few people left in, in on Earth that's actually still alive. And uh, the reason is is that Earth is slowly being destroyed by radiation. And he's in the Arctic. He's in uh, a kind of a research station in the Arctic. And he's the only one left in the. Arctic which is the only kind of part of Earth which has yet to be destroyed by radiation, even though it is on its way. So he stays behind, and the reason why he stays behind when everybody leaves is that he's trying to get in contact with a spaceship which has been sent by Earth into the galaxy to try and find an habitable kind of planet four, uh, for, for for the people of Earth. They're on their way back having done just that, and they are, of course, trying to get in contact with Earth they're not getting any replies simply because Earth is dying. And he's trying to get in contact with them to warn them what Earth is like. Uh, at one stage, he said, we didn't exactly look after Earth uh, very well in the last couple of years. And, um, and so what he realizes then very early on is that he can't really get in contact with them. And what he needs to do is to actually go further north in the Atlantic, to another research, uh, research station, um, which uh, there's nobody in the station, but he needs to get there. And he realizes it because they have a much better communication device there. So if he goes there, then he might be able to uh, communicate with the spaceship and warn, warn them because of it. And then um, as he's spending time alone in the, the search station before he leaves, he realizes that he's actually not alone and he realizes that uh, sometimes when he makes breakfast that there's another cup um, on a desk. He realizes that the is appear uh, out of nowhere, and he realizes that he's not alone on this research station. And in fact, he finds a, a little girl who has been left behind, who doesn't communicate with him, who's frightened, obviously. And, and so there's, there's two parts of this film. One is his relationship with this little girl, and the other part then is the... Um, the space station and the people aboard that and their lives as they're trying to get back to Earth. So he then decides well look he needs to get to the other research station which is a little bit further north and so he brings the little girl with him. And so we have this incredible kind of adventure story of, of Clooney and the little girl and there we have the, the storyline uh, aboard the space station. So this I think is part of the problem of the film. There's basically kind of two films in one here and because of the switching you have a problem with pacing, I think, because there are times when you have incredible excitement with George Clooney and the little girl, and then it would switch to maybe a ten, kind of twelve-minute sequence aboard uh, the uh, space station, which is kind of very languid and much more quiet and and, and 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 not as pacey. In fact, there's a there's an amazing sequence with Clooney, and you're really excited while it's on. You're enjoying it. It then switches to a spacewalk um, outside the 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 the, the 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 space station in, in the air in, in in space, and because of that, you know the way spacewalks are done, but done in slow motion. So therefore, the pacing is completely wrong. And you just basically want to get back to the Clooney storyline because, which is that because that's the most exciting part. And I think I often think that films like this kind of suffer from what I call kind of Netflix indulgence. Netflix doesn't have to worry about box office returns, so basically it says to someone like Clooney, you go make the movie you want. So there's nobody like a Louis D. Mare or somebody like that to kind of uh, overlook uh, the, the making of the film and say, look, maybe. You, you, it might be better if that comes out it might be better if the pacing is a little bit better and, and, and the editing a little bit better but uh, obviously Clooney has decided no this is the way he wants the film to be made and that's but that's my only problem with it because the the parts with the little girl and Clooney are very exciting it was made in Iceland and in fact some of the scenes were actually made during snowstorms so it's got that kind of sense of uh, of, of reality it looks cold because they look cold and you feel cold because of it and um And it is very, very exciting. But you do really care about the people on on board the space uh, station as well. I mean, um, uh, so it's very, very cleverly written. It's just that it could have done with a bit more editing, I think.
4: And there's nothing worse when you're watching a movie when there is like two or three storylines and there's one particular storyline you want it to return to. It gets sort of frustrating when you're watching the movie.
13: Yeah, all the time you want to go back to Clooney and the, the Little Girl. The Little Girl is played by Caitlin Springle, uh, who is not only beautiful, but she's very good, a terrific little actress. She spells Caitlin with an Irish uh, spelling, so I presume she might be from an Irish background. And uh, Felicity Jones uh, plays the character Sully uh, aboard uh, the spacecraft. Uh, the interesting thing about that storyline is that she's pregnant uh, in the um, in the movie, but that wasn't actually in the storyline. She basically appeared on set and said, to Clooney, look, I'm pregnant. And he went, okay what's?" Well, to write it into the story. So that was kind of interesting. Uh, So look, yeah, I would certainly recommend it. I think there's a lot to enjoy here. Obviously, the production values are very, very good because, you know, the thing about Netflix is that they will give you the money to be able to do what you want to do. As I say, it becomes a little bit indulgent sometimes, which is why Martin Scorsese can make a three-hour film about an Irish gangster. And it's kind of of the same here as well, I think. And I've said this before, we just wish sometimes that maybe somebody would just step on the director and step on the editor sometimes and just say, look, let's just just kind of increase the Pace here a little bit. Let's take kind of uh, let's let's have a look at the pacing and just let's make sure that it's a little smoother uh, than it actually is. But I would certainly recommend it. I really really enjoyed it, and Clooney is great.
4: And uh, D in uh, Goline by WhatsApp says the film is brilliant and George Clooney is still sexy. <laughs> yeah, I'm <laughs> with you, D. So a uh, mark it out of ten, uh, Mark? I'll give it eight. Eight out of ten, okay. And the movie is called The Midnight uh, Sky. And where is that? St- where is that streamed? That's on Netflix. It's on Netflix, okay. And then you watched a second movie for us. This is described as action, crime, drama, and it's called Echo Boomers.
13: Uh, this is based on a true story, and basically, it's about kind of five gra- college graduates. They're in their twenties. Uh, things aren't going particularly well for them. Uh, they uh, they can't find jobs, and they certainly can't find good jobs. And they're millennials basically who ba- who blame the baby boomers. For wrecking the economy and who basically they consider to have kind of kept the money for themselves. So they, they've decided that they are responsible for the ills of America and why if they can't get very, very good jobs. So they decide to target the homes of extraordinarily rich boomers. And so they steal. And then they use um, Michael Shannon, who plays the character here, Michael Dahmer. He's kind of a fence. So they work with him to then sell uh, the um items that uh, the art and the furniture that they steal from these houses um and they then sell to uh, rich europeans the thing is is that because they despise baby boomers so much um they feel kind of almost personally kind of angry uh about them that not only do they just steal from their houses they will go in and they will just just completely and totally destroy the house and in most of them, the sequence uh, where um most of them are were given their backgrounds as to why uh, most of them have, uh, you know, been brought up in abusive households, um, very poor households. So therefore, they despise the rich. For example, one of them really hates um, children's bedrooms, especially if they are, um, if there's a lot of toys in the room. So he would go in and he would just destroy all the toys. And so there's this kind of, uh, kind of almost kind of a, a subconscious kind of hatred for these people. And so therefore, um, at the beginning of the film, there's that very, very interesting kind of um, sense of politics um, about this film has got this terrific kind of sense of this kind of target the way they target uh, American society which then about halfway through they kind of forget about it and then what they do is they, it just turns into another heist kind of movie that we've seen before for example like, it's very large, like the Oceans movies or it actually reminded me of most of Kevin Spacey's Vegas heist film 21 where you had young people there again as well and there's a lot of kind of sequences uh, with really, really kind of funky music. And, and it's really, really kind of inter- interesting. Uh, but uh, unfortunately, as I say, they just kind of run out of ideas after a while and they forget the kind of political side of it. And then they just kind of turn it into another heist movie, which we've kind of seen before on a number of occasions. And I think that's, uh, that's a shame. The interesting thing for me, though, is the cast. I mean, Michael Shannon is in it, Leslie Ann Warren, who we haven't seen for a very long time if you look down the cast, do you recognise a name in the cast by any chance?
4: I was just going to ask you about somebody called Patrick Schwarzenegger. Now, there's not many Schwarzeneggers running around the place.
13: No, son? He is indeed. He is indeed the son of, uh, of Arnold Schwarzenegger, yeah. Um, he doesn't look like Arnold. Uh, he's a very good-looking young man, by the way. And, uh, and he's OK in it. He's a much better actor than his father. Uh, but um, there were a few occasions where he had to, kind of emotional in the film... And didn't really, really quite work. There was another bit of casting which I thought was interesting where in the, um, where in the titles it said introducing Giles Geary uh, as if it was his first film but I think he's made some TV work before and I was very impressed with him and I'd like to see more of him as well so I thought all the performances were really good just that the director and the writing kind of lets it down and there were times when it becomes unbelievable even though you constantly kind of remind yourself that it's actually based on a true story but um, a lot of the critics didn't like it fans though people who go and watch these movies tend to like it and I liked it. I didn't think it was terrible and as terrible as a lot of the critics did. We've seen it before but I certainly thought it was interesting.
4: Okay, so Mark, it out of 10?
13: I'll give it another 8.
4: 8 out of 10, okay. And that is called Echo Boomers. Listen Mark, thank you for that. Have a lovely week and we'll chat you next Friday. Thanks for that, Mark. Uh okay, before I go, a couple of people I want to say uh, hi to uh, who've got birthdays today. Kathleen Gallagher is in Rosgarberry. Happy birthday to you, Kathleen. Jerry Margarita. Nagel. Jerry and Margarita Nagel want to wish you all the best and Anthony Pickford in Limerick has been on to say that his mother Patricia celebrates her birthday today. Happy birthday to you uh, Patricia. And all week we've had people asking, particularly from Home Helps, asking when were they going to be vaccinated just to let people know that uh, TDs were informed yesterday evening that uh, carers formerly employed in the healthcare sector i.e. the Home Helps and it's going to be for both those employed by the HSE and those uh, with agencies are to be included as essential workers as are uh, dentists so they'll be in the first wave of the rollout of the uh, vaccines Okay, that's where I leave you for today my thanks to uh, John Paul who produced the programme I also want to thank Ken Parrish who was on sound because for the first day ever I've been broadcasting from home Uh, there was nothing wrong we just wanted to make sure that everything worked if ever it came to it that I had to broadcast from home so I think it all went okay. so I'll talk to you on uh, Monday morning until then I'm Patricia Messenger have a lovely Weekend
11: and stay safe. Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at uh1.com. This Mother's Day, treat mom to healthy, glowing skin with OSIA's limited edition skincare sets. OSIA has been making clean, seaweed infused products for nearly 30 years.